This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how does the fight for affordable energy play into the election? Former Liberal MP Dan McTagg lets us know his insight on the election and how Trudeau is trying to win it, plus the Liberal platform that was just announced. February is the new November, according to Blaine Kylo, because the video game industry is pushing almost everything back as the pandemic continues to impact development and production of video games. Blaine helps us understand what's going on in that, the video game Halo Infinite, plus news from Apple, 0% financing on Apple products. Keep listening if you want to get more. Plus, are you okay with typos? Obviously, here on The Shift, we live by them. I'm starting to get a case of the long weekends. I don't know about you. I can feel it. Oh, yeah. Ryan's going camping, so he's super well, excited. I'm going camping, but I'm more excited that there's a go-kart track within vicinity of my campsite. I, I, w- I want to get out of the nature and get on the track, baby. Like, okay. I'm so excited. Ryan keeps calling this the nature. He's like, I just can't wait to get into nature. I can't just wait to get into into the forest and the He's trees. For this last time I did this. So Ryan is going camping at a campground that is right in the middle of Sylvan Lake. <laughs> like, it's in the middle, not in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the town of Sylvan Lake. And yeah. so it's not even in nature. It's right in the middle of the town. It's there's houses on this side and an ice cream store on that side. Like it's, but in Ryan's mind, we need to support him because in his mind, he's going to nature this weekend and he's going to see squirrels and moose and all the animals. Mm-hmm. And there's probably going to be a little deer that comes up and says good morning to him and all the things. I know it's going to be beautiful. This is really the extent of me becoming one with nature. Nature. <laughs> Sandwich between society. I am yeah. not bringing the easy Crocs, by the way. I will be bringing normal sandals for this trip. Really? Mm-hmm. That's very responsible of you, Ryan O'Donnell. Brendan Kelly is here as well. It's time for Are You Okay? Are you okay with spring cleaning? Seems like the wrong season to be asking this question going into well maybe we're just preparing okay i guess well i mean i prefer to do weekend cleaning to be honest i don't think you should just do it all in the spring yeah i know you i know you can do it in the spring but i never do it in the spring i always do it right before winter like kind of around this time is usually when i do all the cleaning i don't really get the whole spring aspect of it but i do clean once a week, but I love that day where it's like, all right, it's time to purge the house of unnecessary crap and just clean it all. See, now that mm. would be like against nature. See, this is why you need to get into nature because like naturally, I think we, we you know, before the winter, before we hibernate, we hoard all that stuff. So we, mm-hmm. we need it. Yeah. Supplies, man. Supplies. Yeah. Damn. Got to have the supplies. I don't know. Spring cleaning is like it's a spiritual, spiritual thing, right? You're pay, cleansing the soul. You gotta, you gotta go. And I mean, just because it's almost three weeks from fall doesn't mean that some people still have not started spring cleaning yet. Maybe this guy. You never know. But clearing out junk does feel good. <laughs> this spring cleaning, though, caused a lawsuit last year. Two parents thought their son needed to throw out some junk, so they helped, and they did it themselves. Here's more about the junk that the two parents threw out for their son from Jimmy Kimmel. This is something. There's a man in Indiana, there's a 40-year-old man who is suing his parents for $87,000. Why? For throwing out his porno collection. (laughs) Apparently, the guy moved back in with his mom and dad after getting divorced. Why his wife divorced him, I don't know. He sounds great. But he moved back home, and then when he moved out, a few months later, he left behind some boxes, and his parents had destroyed 12 boxes of magazines and videos and two boxes of sex toys he left with them. The man, they identified him as Charlie. It is not his real name, but he estimates his collection was worth $29,000. This is an email from one of the officers who worked the case. He wrote, Charlie sent me around 44 emails that will be sent to forensics 
To be added to this report, emails contain lists of DVDs and VHS tapes, different sex toys, and lubes that he states are missing. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot to process. Yeah. Sometimes things happen that your parents find out about your life that may feel embarrassing. Cool parents will just be like, hey, man, you do you. And other parents will just throw it all out. And this is an incredible story. Here on The Shift, we're bringing you an update to it. Because two years ago, this stuff was thrown out. Here is where this case is at today. The case of the throwaway porno has finally ended. That's not really the name of the TV, is it? No, no. I just was trying to come up with like a catchy way to say the case of the... I want it to sound like a Tantan book or something, right? Oh, no. Like I, I meant the, the, the TV channel. That's not really the <gasps> TV channel, is it? Oh, no. It 100% is. I didn't That's see legit? it. <laughs> That's oh, okay. it's a real channel, yeah. legit. Is it really? It's real. It is yeah. 100% okay. legit. I'm so sorry. Okay, this, this got weird. Uh, here is their point. This was my question. Here is the report about the thrown away porno from the channel Wood TV8. A judge is ordering a West Michigan couple to pay over $30,000 to their son for throwing out his pornography collection. The decision came about eight months after David Working won a lawsuit against his parents. Working says that they had no right to throw out his collection. Working had lived at his parents' home in Grand Haven for 10 months after a divorce this before moving to Indiana. As part of the decision, Working's parents must also pay over $14,000 to his attorney. That's a great way to rough up your relationship with your parents. You're not getting, um, you're not going to be in the will, Charlie. <laughs> you're not going to have any money left to put in the will after this lawsuit. Okay, so the amount was awarded after a Victoria Hartman, director of the, yes, it's a thing, Erotic Heritage Museum near Las nice. Vegas, appraised Working's inventory. Working included his inventory of thousands of DVDs and VH tapes in incredible detail in court documents, including such revolutionary films like Debbie Does Dallas 3, Big Bad Grannies, and Invisible Lover. Oh. Just to be clear, Ryan picked the three most PG titles PG, that he yeah. could find from oh. the entire list, and that's as good as it got for PG. There were some truly shocking titles on that list. Truly. Yeah. But it's all available yeah. on the internet. You can see every single thing this guy owned. Yeah. So this whole list gets worse. This was an email sent to Ho's dad in 2017. That's a typo. This is an email sent to his dad <laughs> in 2017. Quote, there's plenty of porn on the internet. If you want to watch that, Dad, believe me. I know you need it with Mom around. I needed it with Mary around. End quote. Wow. I'm Working that's sounds ex. like a real stand-up guy, doesn't he? What a gem, eh? Wow. You know when they call a guy a butte? That's not it. Oh, that's a rough one, bud. Oh, not just butte. to be clear, for Trucker Dan's question, $29,000 in pornography... That's actually not the number. The number was $10,000 in pornography and about $19,000 in the emotional distress of all the things. And the um, legal fees and all that. Legal fees and all that. So mm. he actually went to court and argued and won that it was uh, he was distraught uh, because he lost his uh, favorite movies. And toys. And loops. Oh, my God. So want to come over for Thanksgiving dinner? Like, what do you do now? Like, like what are your plans for Christmas, Mom and Dad? Like, uh, he's bold. I, I, I'll give him that. I mean, the, that's the worst part is that, like, of course he won the lawsuit. They threw out his stuff without his consent. He was going to win this either way. But, man, maybe think oh. his parents were trying to say something like, hey, we don't want this in our house. It can't be here. And then they could have I just, come uh, they had had a discussion. You know, he could sell it. I just, uh, I don't know if you know this. I just got an update on this story, Ryan. Oh, you did? Yeah. Uh, What's the update? Yeah, he he's still single. 
Oh, really? <laughs> How? <laughs> that was Jeez, that. man. Are you okay? Are you okay with typos? Well, I don't have a choice. I have yeah. to be okay with typos. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> Ryan, the floor is yours. This is <laughs> the floor is mine. Okay, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm okay with them. I've accepted them as part of. It's like I'm a host, and typos are my parasite. I've accepted them. We live in harmony. Uh, I try to keep them under control, but sometimes it just kind of pops out of there. Um, mm. Are the typos really your parasite, or they're our parasite? I don't know. I would say, I would maybe the failed education system or my failure to do a good job in English class, uh, do a good enough job is, uh, that, but, uh, you know, I like that there, I, I unironically saying this, I like that they're a part of the show. It's fun. It allows me to kind of get less serious with myself from time to time. And I like them. I do. I would have blamed technology. This is yeah. autocorrect. Like, I'm pretty sure your autocorrect now just accepts JSUT as a word. You probably do type <laughs> just, but yeah, it... Just, yeah. <laughs> just SUT. Most. Instead mm -hmm. of most. That's another good one. Masoch. There's someone at Grammarly that gets an alert all the time where it changes a perfectly good word to... You know on everyone else's phone when you type in a perfectly good word and it changes it to the wrong word? Yeah. It's because yep. it studies everyone else's phones. It's because of Ryan. It's because Ryan misspells so many words that everyone else's phone just goes, well, we assume Ryan is doing it right, and it just changes everyone else's phone to the wrong words. So that's... um. All right. Um, are you okay with typos? We are no strangers to typos here on The Shuffed. That's a typo. Oh, that's probably Ryan's intentional yeah, that's typo. <laughs> yeah, that was my intentional yeah. one. Sorry. <laughs> Ryan's humor. Ryan's sense of humor becomes obvious. when he cause yeah. you can, Plus, you can see the look on his face. Um <laughs> Pardon me, but that is a typo not even Ryan could make. With vaccine passports coming more and more common, more and more people are trying to get fake ones. But COVID-19 screamers in Hawaii, Hawiwi, didn't need a forensic expert to spot one visitor's fake vaccine card. They just needed somebody who could spell. Chloe Mrozik, 24 of Illinois, has been charged with falsifying vaccine documents and providing false information after she allegedly presented counterfeit Moderna vaccination card at the airport in Hawaii. Here's more from KRON, KRON News 2. Rozak uploaded her vaccine card to the Safe Travels app with the help of a Roberts Hawaii screener. Now, it wasn't difficult for the screener to realize something was off with the card. Chloe Mrozak arrived to Honolulu on August 23rd. When she presented this vaccine card, screeners noticed Moderna misspelled with an A instead of an O and an illegible lot number that also looks suspicious. That's one indication, um, as well as other things that in the card they've, they've thought it was suspicious. And as, as they're part of being suspicious, they did their ex excellent job of notifying us Rozak is from Illinois, but the card said she received her shot from the National Guard in Delaware. Special Agent Lau was unable to reach Rozak by phone, and she wasn't staying in her listed Hawaii address. After finding her profile on Facebook, Special Agent Lau determined that Rozak had a distinctive tattoo on her left hip. On August 28th, Rozak was found by the quarantine compliance check team based on her tattoo at the Southwest Airlines counter at Honolulu's airport. <laughs> right man uh, see, Moderna yeah I would have went with Pfizer with an F Pfizer with an F yeah, yeah. that's what I would do yeah that's good yeah. I wonder Here's if her tattoo thing, on her hip is one of those ones that is like one of those no rag rats or no regerts oh yeah you believe know, misspelled tattoos completely wrong um this is one of Moderna and Pfizer are probably two of the most spoken words in the English language right now. Most written and read. And you, I don't, how? This is like misspelling the, in terms of the context of the English language right now. That's, it's just mm. so amazing that she, <laughs> and she misspelled it twice too, both times on the card, both doses she wrote. Consistency matters. <laughs> Although I, I can't, ex 
I can't avoid the irony of Ryan being critical of this person right now. I hey, think hey, this hey. is great. I am the typo master. I know a good typo when I see one, and I know a bad typo when I see one. She's stealing your jam, that's all. You're defending your territory. Uh, investigators built a case for a few days and then arrested Morozak when she arrived at the airport for her return flight on Saturday. Hawaii News Now reported she was jailed on $2,000 bond and is due in court on Wednesday. So how was your trip? I would say the probably worst misspelled tattoo is you, that you see the most often is the um, no dream is too big tattoo that you see quite often on people's arms or whatever. And it's only one O and two. Ooh. Uh, I, I yeah. saw Brawn to Die. No. That, that's one. Yeah, Brawn to Die. Yeah. Um, really? What was the other one I saw? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's one that's like a crudely, I'm looking at it right now. It's like a crudely drawn font that says, It's my life. And then John Bovey. <laughs> oh, no way. I John love the Bovey. ones that um, so many people use the tattoos that say Angel, right? Like, so and so is my angel. My mom's my angel. St- you know, Steve is my angel. Whatever, but they spell it angle. <laughs> angle, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Are you? If you had good bad tattoos, what? Did, feel free. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Are you okay? Are you okay with live reporting? They kind of make me nervous sometimes. Oh, I've seen them go bad yeah. in so many different ways, whether it's a reporter stumbling over words or just like something from the outside. Some Try doing live interviews during when I was at Sate. We have our own TV news there, right? That trains you for it. And I had to do several live interviews on location in front of like I don't know, 50 people just walking around or, and you just like every second you're watching out to see if somebody's going to screw with you if, and you have to ask the questions. But I, it's a lot of fun though. Like, it's all so much work. It's so stressful. But when it comes together, it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Mine would probably be live recording or live interviews at Stampede Beer Gardens with bands in a mm-hmm. beer garden full of drunk people if you ever want an adventure. Always good. Live reporting, it's a crucial way to keep everyone up to date on breaking news, but you can never predict what will happen when you go live inside or outside of the studio. A little broadcasting entertainment, here's proof. Because of the extreme heat, so if you're going to practice, uh, oh, 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 what is that? That's because it's hot outside and stuff like that happens. Did, was that live? Are we live? Big black australop cockerel, one of 500 birds. That are being judged today at the show. <laughs> uh, ah! Ah! This did not work out. Um, so uh, it's artichoke. Too much, jam. too much. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Is it edible? <laughs> yeah, at first, I'm like, well, it's not that bad, but the vinegar. But there's no vinegar in there. So here's what <laughs> happens. <laughs> All right, just some examples of how things go wrong. Here's a new story that goes down in the saga of crazy live TV moments. An irate man confronted NBC News Shaquille Brewster on live television on Monday as he was reporting on Tropical Storm Ida in coastal Missouri. I saw this clip. Brewster was standing uh, for the live MSNBC shot from Gulfport, just kind of by the water, when a white pickup truck pulled up behind him, quite a ways behind him. So it was really funny to watch because this guy had to storm, like, argument, unhappy walk for a really long time just to get up and tell him what he wanted to say. He jumped out, walked fast, started sprinting. Moments later, the man got in Brewster's face before he calmly ended the report. The man could be heard shouting to Brewster to report accurately. People are walking their dogs. They're back on the beach right now. And that's the sense that you're getting that the rain has stopped. The wind is still going there. I think we even have a random person going around. You know, I'm going to turn this way because, you know, we deal with some people every once in a while. But, uh, you know, one thing that we are noticing is that the mayor said the curfew is still in effect. The curfew is going to be going on 
for at least a, until a period of time in which they can go ahead and go and survey all the damage. They did get some reports of some down power lines, of some trees that have fallen or at least limbs that have fallen. So they're going to go ahead and do that survey to make sure that they're okay. Craig, I'm going to toss it back to you because we have a person yeah. who needs yeah. a little help right now. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Um, we're going to check in with Shaq Brewster just to make sure all is well. Uh, there's a lot of crazy out there. A lot of crazy. Uh, moments later, he tweeted that he was okay. Melvin told viewers that Brewster wasn't hurt either. I was actually quite well controlled by the, the TV host because as he saw the guy coming, he just kept reporting and walked around the other way so he could see the guy coming. I thought it was a, a very good example of composure that he, he managed to show. And you um, needed to do it, man. Yeah. That was so. Um, he did a good job. That took a lot of patience by that broadcaster to just uh, let it all slide. This is the Shift Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. Dan McTagg is a former liberal MP. I chatted with him Wednesday after this platform came down, asking the question, is it not weird that this is two weeks late? Shouldn't Canadians have heard the liberals and prime ministers platform already into this election? Yeah, you should. The plan is not just because you're a party in a campaign. It's that you launch this campaign. You trigger this election. You think you have a reason to do it. And I think you don't have to ask me that. I mean, that's a very cynical way of looking at things. But uh, look, I've run campaigns since 1978. I won't name all the years, federal and provincial. I've never seen a party go into a campaign without a platform. Uh, And what you do express in terms of a platform, whether it's drib or drab or a little bit here, a little bit there, you ultimately want to make sure that no one calls you on and says, well, those are the same recycled ideas you had in the last election or the previous election yeah, to that. Exactly. Um, now, many people who are opposition will say, well, we never had a chance to exercise it. But Trudeau had a majority and a functioning minority uh, could have implemented anything that he put up today. Uh, so I guess it really comes down to uh, this, Shane, is starting to look like a bit of deathbed repentance. Uh, hmm. This is uh, hoping that the public is very ignorant. Uh, this is hoping and praying on the fact that people will overlook the multiple serial faults of this leader and his cabinet and his caucus uh, and uh, begin to perhaps say, well, this is a whole new day. This is all part of the reset. But reset doesn't involve regurgitation. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you take people for fools. And I think that's unfortunately the liberals have stepped on a mine here. Uh, and short of trying to buy people off with their own money at a time in which money is becoming less and less uh, uh, you know, available uh, when many people are going to be cut off uh, by the end of September uh, at a time in which uh, uh, promises are deep, but uh, the pockets are not. I think we're in, uh, we're many people are starting to take a second look at this guy and wonder uh, if he's all if he's all there. Now, seventy eight billion dollars. Can you put on your MP hat, former MP hat anyway, and look at that? Because there's there's all kinds of money. There's money that is planned for, i.e., hey, we're going to make $10 billion here and we're going to spend eight of it here, right? There's always that good planning of economics. And then there's money that doesn't really exist. And we're just going to be like, budgets balance themselves, I suppose, where we'll just find it and return our empties and get a few extra bucks and we're going to spend $78 billion. Where does that land for a former MP? It's fiscally irresponsible. Um, I know he's not big on monetary policy. But that aside, um, you know, I served as an MP from 1993 to 2011. The first 10 years was about trying to arrest an out-of-control debt uh, accumulated by previous governments and without blaming and pointing fingers. Uh, it took uh, the IMF's declaration uh, that we might have been become a, a state award of their, uh, of their efforts or the downgrading of our credit by bondholders and the appearance of, uh, you know, of, of that reality in the, uh, in the Washington, uh, rather in the uh, New York, not New York Times, so <laughs> the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, back in mm-hmm. 1997. If Canada wants to go down that road, I can't be more clear than this. Go ahead, vote Liberal. Uh, maybe vote NDP while you're at it. Uh, maybe vote Block because apparently no one gives a damn about fiscal responsibility and our ability to fund to support and to make sure our social programs are sustainable. Look, yesterday's dis, uh, declaration by Stats Can 
that our economy had actually contracted. We're the only one of the G7 nations that actually saw a contraction and a deceleration in growth. You need to have extraordinary growth to make up the amount of money that you've already committed, not just pandemic, pre-pandemic. Remember, this is the same PM who, sold, who spent $115 billion, ran up the tab in good times, at a time when you're supposed to be filling the silos for difficult times. This guy was on a spending spree even before the pandemic. Uh, so we have a problem. We have a prime minister who is profligate. We have a prime minister who invents policies and ideas along the, along the way. But you know, responsible voters have to ask, who's going to pay for all this stuff? I mean, it's not just you, our generation, not just guys here with gray hair who've had it for 25 years, thanks to my years in politics. It's going to be the next generation and the generation after that. So, look, I think the time has come where we stop giving this man a blank check. Uh, he's clearly a bull in a china shop, and it's time for Canadians to wake up before our bank week. The country winds up financially uh, moribund. Yeah, and you know, it's an interesting perspective to look at it from the the current leader versus the party. Um, not to be forgotten here, there is a distinction there. And um, but at this point, if you vote for this party, you're voting for this leader. What about the change of tone when he's in Quebec? I noticed it this year more than ever before that the minute that he stands at a podium in Quebec, it's almost like a completely different set of, of messaging. He's all of a sudden wearing a green tie. He's got green signage all around him. It's not the red liberal signage. I mean, which to me seems like a very natural attempt to try to pick up two green seats that are available uh, with a party that's floundering. So that part I get. I get the strategy part of it. But is the tone in Quebec always this different? Because it seemed really different to me. Never this different and consistent, especially under Jean Chrétien and his father, uh, Pierre-Elliot Trudeau. Uh, they did not uh, mince words. They were strong Canadians. They were assaulted and uh, assailed politically by uh, by every separatist. They, they weathered the storm. And the rest of the country could, is very grateful for what they both did. But uh, this man in particular is a poltroon. Uh, this man is a weakling. Uh, this man is, uh, uh, you know, uh, the face of Janus. Uh, this guy will be all things to all people. And that's what makes him so dangerous, is that you've invested in a man the uh, the priorities, the privileges of being a prime minister. But you've also told him that the party doesn't matter. It's the candidates don't matter. It's almost as if the Liberal Party has finally said, there is someone who wants the Liberal Party. His name is Justin Trudeau, and the rest can be damned. I've never, ever accepted for a moment, nor have the candidates I've supported over the years, nor the people I've put into office, nor the people that I've run with or run against or have run with me. Have I ever for once forgotten or put aside the idea that, uh, you know, we all have uh, a stake in this uh, this great centrist party. That party's completely blown to pieces. It's put all of its, vested all of its its efforts into the, into one man. And that, that guy is... Uh, Frankly, I don't think he, there's any consistency in what he does. And that's for them a, a very dark side of his politics is that um, he gives different messages in different languages across the country. Thankfully for guys like me who are French uh, and, and fluently bilingual, it's my mother tongue, though I was born here in Ontario or in Manitoba, lived most of my time in Ontario. Uh, for me, it's, it's appalling that the message of the Liberal Party isn't just confusing. Uh, it's actually dishonest. Dan McTagg is with AffordableEnergy.ca, expert in and around energy and formal liberal MP from Ontario. I wanted to get into some conversation around energy, around understanding how political parties work and more. This is part two of my conversation with Dan McTagg. So I have two questions. Number one, Aaron O'Toole went on some of those French interviews and he actually, I found, took even more of a square conservative stance in some of those questions and answers, which was probably refreshing for a conservative voter. Then you have this sort of chameleon thing that's going on with the prime minister. One of the things that I've always appreciated about the Green Party and about the NDP is they have never wavered on their stance. As much as I don't always agree with them and sometimes I don't understand the stance, they don't really waver from it, right? And so we have some confidence with some of the parties. We don't in others. Uh, maybe that's just an observation on, on my part. I mean, take it where you like. Yeah, look, uh, the liberals in Quebec are most interested in securing, maintaining uh, the, uh, the so-called progressive vote. But in Quebec, uh, there is a very large con conservative vote. Uh, this was the same province in my youth growing up, uh, running campaigns where 
you know, in many ridings in the 1980 election, the number two runner-up in the uh, to the federal liberals sweeping 74 of 75 seats in that particular election were the rhinoceros party. Um, so, you know, they, there's a very, very large umbrella uh, and big tent approach that has that used to be taken by the Liberal Party that I knew. That's not the case anymore. Uh, Jack Layton's breakthrough, along with Tom Mulcair uh, of the NDP in Quebec, changed that and changed it irrevocably. So the Liberals have decided to go hard, far left. Perhaps that's where some voters are. But uh, the further out you go into the uh, into the rural areas, wealthier rural areas, and in Quebec City, for instance, uh, you know, they're not voting liberal, they're voting conservative. Uh, now, as a default, they might vote, uh, you know, for other parties in the interim. But uh, it's not by accident that the prime minister feels that uh, he has really two shots at maintaining power. He has to hold Montreal and he has to hold uh, Toronto. And uh, if he can hold those two, he holds on to government. The rest of the country, unfortunately, uh, is inconsequential. OK, can I ask you a politics question? That is more of a sure. mechanical question, I think. I don't really know this. I think of the yeah. Illuminati. I think of the Illuminati <laughs> that there's some sort of that there's some sort of secret puppet master board of directors that is running the Bilderbergs, uh, yes. <laughs> right. That are running the party, that there's this secret boardroom of people that we don't know who it is. And they're the ones that are actually the puppet masters in these parties, all the parties for that matter, that decide what's going to happen and what's going to on, which in truth would make them the ultimate powerful people is there like these secret boardrooms and committees that we don't know about like how does this work i don't even know how it works well i didn't get that high to find out um oh. but if it did work out i'm sure that would be a combination of folks working around snc lavalin uh bombardier uh maybe the Demarez uh power corporation uh argus corporation the years that's counter lever to that the old canadian establishment to uh, you know, uh, Peter C. Newman would, if you were around, would still have a laugh at that. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, you know, there are obviously power brokers within parties, the Liberal Party's bagmen, uh, people who are, who've taken over over the years, uh, you know, uh, but I don't see that, you know, some kind of large, magical, uh, overarching, you know, one-eye organization taking all these over. I'd be more concerned, though, about policies that we adopt in this country that are part of the much larger, you know, World Economic Forum agenda. Uh, you know, the Klaus Schwab's of this world coming out and making statements about, uh, you know, how we should all, all should have less property, eat less meat, uh, and uh, not own anything, and uh, we'll be very happy. That kind of thing, I think, is is resonating with a very large constituency of very smart people who know this is the same group of people who, who are trying to demonize, you know, fossil fuels, uh, the same group of people trying to push their own agenda while at the same time living hypocritically, flying into Davos every year to do their little, you know, dog and pony show where they can lecture the world and sit back and swill, you know, uh, Perrier and, uh, uh, you know, pork back on uh, on canapes. My guess, though, is that the Liberal Party uh, almost dis almost came to its end. In fact, I mentioned Peter C. Newman. I was on the bus with him with uh, other folks, uh, notable journalists uh, going with Ignatiev for making their way north uh, through uh, the Muskokas, uh, going after Harper's ill-advised ill, ill uh, G20 meeting. I was one who got to actually all the data and information to demonstrate what a what a schmozzle, what a spending problem that was. But it was Peter C. Newman saying, this is the death of the Liberal Party. And he had written it, obviously, before he passed away, saying it would never recover from this. And there's truth to that. The Liberal Party, in fact, did die in 2011. The NDP ate our, you know, uh, really ate our lunch. What was left was a rump. And the only thing that brought the Liberal Party back to power in 2015 was a cult of personality. Justin Trudeau was a rock star. And uh, that's the main reason why the Liberal Party survived, too. To, to, to the credit of those who said it's time to put everything aside, he decided then to go extremely hard to the left, outflank the NDP, uh, became a left-wing, you know, fanatic, and the darling of uh, pretty much every woman in this country. So then you start to see the other parties getting more organized. That makes sense now. So you, it's taken some time. Cons conservative parties taken forever to figure out how to market in this new digital world. Uh, took an election and a half too long. Um, finding a leader that was dynamic and finding a leader that was filled with vitality. And now you've got the NDP with a leader that is very personable, very understandable. Um, he's handsome and well-spoken and now you've got uh another leader on the conservative party who is handsome filled with vitality i mean i'm not going to be so vain to not notice that 
or claim to not be vain, to not notice the amount of weight that Aaron O'Toole has lost in the last couple of years in order to become young and fit and active again and to be able to portray that. So is it possible that we have two parties right now that are getting very organized and are not lost and we have another party that is starting to realize that they are quite lost? Well, they've learned winning ways. Trudeau talks sunny ways. They're learning winning ways and they're, they're not going to allow much, um, you know, I think the, the, the really interesting part in this is uh, O'Toole simply has to hold on to his numbers and allow Singh to do the damage to the Liberal Party in exactly the same way Leighton destroyed the Liberal Party in 2011. Uh, I, I, you know, I talked about this last week. You speak to the under 30 crowd and, and I've, you know, I've, I converse with them online, by Twitter, by other mediums. And a lot of the under 30s are voting, the ones that voted solidly for Trudeau uh, are voting for uh, are voting for Singh. And uh, uh, even, the ND, uh, even the Green Party is recognizing that. I think the spoiler in this is going to be the NDP. I think the NDP is going to wind up with more seats than are suggested. Almost all of them at the expense of the Liberals. Mm-hmm. There could be odd occasion where they, they, they break through. But this reminds me... Uh, a lot of 2011, although not as severely for Mr. Trudeau, because I think he has a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, residual support uh, in um, in in uh, the 905, 416, uh, and in Montreal itself, and slightly outside towards uh, the West Island, Montreal. Beyond that, um, I think it's pretty clear that uh, uh, you know the guy who is who stands to gain a lot by simply being calm, cool, collected knows his files, knows his platform. There's nothing there's likely to find on him. I don't think he's done anything strange in the past, although I, you know, I could always be surprised. But I think if that were to happen, it would have already been, uh, you know, discovered. The Liberals are halfway through this campaign that they called, uh, and they have clearly lost this campaign. And unless uh, they pull a rabbit out of the hat, short of any miracle, the Liberals are going to go down on September the 20th. That's remarkable. Dan McTagg. Affordable energy. I did want to talk about energy. Price of gas is outrageous. Now, for me, the I drive my my BMW is a diesel, so I've been good. I've gone up about two cents. Yep. If you drive a gasoline car right now, that is high. My power bill is up. My natural gas bill is up. The gasoline, the natural gas. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, and then you've got everything else to do with affordable housing, yeah, not being, energy related. Yeah. Right. So um, costs are all up. Are we seeing an end to this energy rise? Is this just a bump in the road because it's end of summer and return of pandemic stuff? Or are we truly seeing these companies say, time for me to make my money back after the last year and a half? Everybody's saying that. And uh, it's coming in, whether you're in the grocery sector or uh, whether you're in the lumber sector, everyone's making some money. And unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, there's a belief that as people sat home, they paid off a lot of debt, they collected checks, um, they've had nothing and nowhere to spend their money, so they let the good times roll. Of course, that is really going to be the proverbial reset. I don't think energy prices are going to drop anytime soon. Yeah, you're going to have these moderations of gas prices going up or down. What's almost guaranteed, and all parties currently sitting in the House of Commons supported not only an increase in taxation, which remember Trudeau campaign 2019 said he would only let carbon taxes go $50 a ton, which works out to you know about 12, uh, 12, 12 cents a liter. Um, at that point, it would stop. It's now going to thirty-eight, and then he's inserted a clean fuel standard applies to diesel and to gasoline. That'll push prices up about twenty cents a liter. Twenty, not two, twenty. Um, just looking at BC being a good example at uh, four hundred sixty-seven dollar for credit carbon credit. Any event, that starts mm-hmm. on January first, twenty twenty-three. So we're looking at hyperinflation. Um, out of control inflation, much of it government uh, run, where there is an indirect cost, people don't understand, but I'll make it very, very simple. All of our commodities are priced in US terms. A weaker Canadian dollar, which we're seeing, means the price is added, it goes much higher than we perceive. A lot of what we're seeing in terms of weak dollar isn't because uh, you know uh, Canadians want cheap dollar and more American products that they can buy or whatever the case may be, because our number one export, natural gas and oil, uh, has been so badly limited by pipeline protesters, blockers, and regulations by the government. Um, we're not like 2010, where we had the petrodollar, where we could shield ourselves against these high prices and a weakening currency. Um, we're in a we're in a tight spot, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Especially 
when you're number one industry, the oil and gas sector is on its knees. Have you heard anything in the election so far around oil and gas energy sector in general that is positive from anybody else? Because, you know, some of the parties of, you know, the Liberal Party did buy the Trans Mountain. And there are, you know, the Conservative Party has been talking about other pipelines, too. So is there anything you've heard in the election that gets you excited? Yeah, well, I'm happy to hear about Northern Gateway being revived and saying, look, uh, this is something that... uh, uh, you know, uh, first First Nations ownership uh, would be paramount. I think that serves two purposes. One, uh, it gets them involved uh, and gives them real purpose in terms of mitigation management and ultimately uh, sells to other parts of the world other than the United States products that are made a lot cleaner than other parts of the world, including the United States, two parts of the world that can actually use it, whether that's natural gas or clean Canadian oil. I know that those are controversial statements from people, but I will challenge anybody anytime on what I'm saying. I'm from Ontario. I've taken on the oil industry in the way no green person has ever done in the history of this country. So I don't need a lesson from any one of them. And uh, I know what what I say in this this particular field, because I think it's critical that Canadians understand the connection between their standard living and the safety, the, the viability of the natural gas and oil sector in this country. Without that, we are financially doomed. And anybody who thinks that uh, we're going to walk away from fossil fuels anytime in my lifetime or in yours or that of my children is dreaming technicolor and should basically uh, commit themselves to a living in a world of magic and make-believe because there's nothing to substitute that. Don't believe me? Ask the people in New Orleans and New Louisiana how they're managing without the electrical grid. That's the kind of thing that we want to build in this country. One major storm and you have no, no, no power, but you have natural gas, you have propane. Anyways, I don't want to go on on that. The point is, I think, with respect to energy cost and affordability, not being discussed in this election. We talk about housing affordability, but we're not talking about groceries. We're not talking about uh, high utility bills. We're not talking about energy prices going through the roof artificially. And that's because all of the parties represented in the House of Commons have contributed to driving up energy prices without taking into account the consequences. Now, none of them can talk about a platform uh, and paying for the future and getting us out of this economic morass we find ourselves in. And clearly, I you don't take my word for it. Stats yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, point that out. Unless they, someone lets up and 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 uh, starts to deal with reality, as opposed to uh, you know, as, as opposed to perception of what they'd like to have or aspirational ideas. Um, this country is in very, very serious trouble. It doesn't matter who's going to be wound up in charge after September 20th. I'm sick of paying so much. Yeah. But we all should. We should. We all should. This is unfair. This is a country that is blessed with an abundance of all the resources in the world. The highest regulations on mitigation. Uh, A nation that has done far better than most. That doesn't mean we should sit on our laurels. But we spend, I'm going to be very blunt, we spend so much bloody time in this country crapping on our nation and crapping on the things that have made us unique and valued by the rest of the world. And that begins in our classrooms. It begins with our agendas that were being pushed by you know, politicians and their policy advisors and opinion leaders. They should all smarten the hell up. And I'll tell you what, let's see if they hold to those views of dumping on the country, dumping on its resource sector, its manufacturing sector. Let's see how long they last when they finally are removed from the teat of government. Because most of these folks are subsidized very heavily by your taxes and mine just to have them sit out there as lobbyists to tell the government what to do. My leader, Jean Cadet Saint, used to say, if you think you have a great idea, go damn well out there and fund yourself. Don't ask me to fund you to come complain about us. If you want to complain about something, put your name on the ballot, get elected, and then complain in the House of Commons. That's where it should be. So I guess I, I'm, I'm old fashioned that way, but uh, that's the way the Liberal Party used to be. And uh, it's the way I think it will be in the future. There's some memes out there, and I think they're quoted to Winston Churchill. I don't know if he was the one who said them or not, because you can never trust the internet that way. But they said, if you ever wanted to try to understand that cycle of money that you just talked about, go step into a bucket and try to pick it up yourself. <laughs> Very good one. I'm not sure it's him or not, but yes. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't think I said it quite so poetically or eloquently as it is uh, posted online, but you get the point. Stand in it. Then try to pick it up. See how well that works. Dan McTagg, affordableenergy.ca. Um, check out the website if you want to learn more about what Dan gets up to. Dan is a former liberal MP in Pickering, Ajax, and that area. So you probably know the name. And not only that, he's uh, he's a friend of the shift here. So thanks, brother, for sharing such generously with your time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to doing it again, Shane. It's the Shift Podcast. 
he's in the batter's box and ready to go. Let's get started with the technological world. SoloCore.com, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com, and SoloCore on the socials as well. How are you doing, Blair? I am good. I so much going on, and welcome to September. Yeah, well, does your world really kick up now that we look at Christmas and all the things? Do you notice that September 1st happens and here come the press releases? What's it like for you? Yeah, things definitely start getting busier now. It's different this year, especially in the gaming world. We'll talk about that a little later uh, because the pandemic has just really twisted everything around. And so normally things start ramping up as we hit September. But there's a lot of stuff that normally would be coming out this fall that is not coming out this fall because production timelines have shifted um, there's still this chip shortage, this this computer chip shortage worldwide that is preventing car manufacturers from making new trucks and computer manufacturers from cranking out new computers and smartphones and things like that. So it's 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 going to be another different fall than we've seen before. Maybe not quite as quiet as it was last year at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not we're not through yet. So, are we seeing any light at the end of the time? I mean, I know that you've got this sort of uh, this February uh, note here that we have to that I'm assuming you're getting at. The um, was the PS5 last year the first big whoa? This is not going to be the same moment, and we've seen it carry on since then. Is that what kind of stuff you're talking about? Well, it, and it's all the games, right? I mean, we can we can get right into it. There's no reason not to get into it. Sure. The note that I gave you was that February is the new November. And in the video game space, November is a huge month for releases because publishers and developers want to capitalize on that Christmas buying season. But there are like a whole bunch of games that are not coming out this fall that are coming out in February. So if we just sort of list them off, a couple of these we just found out about last week at Gamescom. Horizon Forbidden West... The, the PlayStation exclusive, which is, I, I can't hardly wait for this game because the first one was just such a stunning achievement. February 18th. My birthday's on the 21st, by the way, so I'm like taking the whole week off. <laughs> Destiny 2 that we talked about last week, the next big expansion, February 22nd. Sifu, which is this really incredible fighter from um, an indie studio called Slow Clap. It comes out on February 22nd as well. Saints Row, which is a kind of over-the-top, crazy Grand Theft Auto open-world type game, it's getting rebooted, comes out on February 25th. And if you add the last couple of days of January, you can add Elden Ring. We've talked about that before. This is the new one from From Software that everybody's been waiting for for years, January 21st. And the new big Pokemon game from Nintendo, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, comes out on January 28th. So in the span of um, what was once the slowest month in gaming ever, we've now got three game of the year contenders and a couple of others that are really big deals. Cool. Um, I, okay. Naive question, forgiving kind non gamer question. Is it possible that with the lack of chips, there would be pressure from the gaming console manufacturers to put off games I guess I've always assumed that all the cool games came out in November as part of an incentive from the consoles to get everyone excited to buy the consoles for Christmas. Is it possible there's a bit of a dance going on there? Or is it, maybe I'm just way off here. No, no, I don't. It's it's a fair question. And the truth is when new consoles come out, there is always a bit of a dance because there's only, and, and especially this time, because 
you you still can't get a PS5. They're really hard to find. It's really hard to find Xbox Series X consoles, which is Microsoft's top-of-the-line console, because of the chip shortages and the manufacturing slowdowns. It's really hard to find these new consoles. Um, it's not that the manufa console manufacturers are trying to delay games because the consoles aren't out there to be sold because most of these games are also available and playable on current consoles. Like when Horizon Zero Dawn, or sorry, Horizon Forbidden West comes out, it's, it's playable on PS4 and PS5. Destiny 2 is playable on every system that you can think of. Um, the Nintendo game, the Pokemon game, that's a Nintendo Switch exclusive, so that really doesn't matter. Elden Ring is available on PC, on Xbox, it's available on all of them. So the reason these things are coming out later is simply because all of the developers went to work from home models and you cannot keep your pipelines, you cannot maintain the same work space and work pace when you're not in the same space. They had to, you know, you have to think about, they've got exclusive equipment, right? If you're building a game for the PS5, you've got a special PS5 system that you're using to test on, to develop on. And if all of a sudden all of your staff have gone home, they can't share those systems. You've got to find ways to make them available to more people. Um, you've got to come up with ways to make sure that um, people are able to VPN in and keep all of the stuff, the work that they're doing safe and secure because now they're doing it from home on shared networks, maybe. So there's all kinds of complications that come into game development when all of a sudden everybody's working from home. And this is just the continuing repercussions from that. All right. Okay. That makes sense. Very clear. Blaine Kylo, solocore.com. Let's dive right into the game stuff, shall we? Yeah, and, and let's just have this clip. A Spartan is a symbol. Hope where there is none. In times of darkness, we are hope. that amazing game called Halo. Halo, don't you dare. <laughs> I'm trying to play the non-gamer card, but even that one, that's like the only my favorite of all the games, that one. I can't even pretend. Well, last week we learned that the release date for Halo Infinite is December 8th, which is, you know, we just finished talking about delays on things. Halo Infinite was originally supposed to, or every Xbox had hoped that Halo Infinite was going to be a launch title for the Xbox Series X and S consoles last holiday season. It got delayed until this year, and it wasn't until last week that we found out that it's coming out December 8th. They were waiting as long as they possibly could before making a final call. And December 8th is about as late in the year as you can actually release a game and still get it into people's hands before that holiday arrives. So this is about as late as they can release it without having to delay it again until 2022. And at the same time, um, 343 Industries, who develops this game, revealed that when the game comes out, it's going to ship without a couple of key features that have become sort of part of the Halo franchise. There won't be the cooperative campaign, which means that you can play the game through with a friend, and Forge, which is the sort of opened up sandbox so that you can create your own maps for friends in Halo. Those two features are not going to be available when Halo Infinite launches at the end of the year. They're going to follow um, co-op they're expecting will follow about three months later and Forge about six months later. Microsoft and, and 343 Industries will continue to develop and support Halo Infinite. But this is actually a big deal. It's 
um, Microsoft and Xbox deciding that they're going to sort of scale back on what they're delivering so that they can deliver what they hope is going to be a really premier campaign experience at Christmas time and a multiplayer experience. And the audio that we just heard was the cinematic introduction to the multiplayer experience, which is a completely different storyline than we've had in Halo before. And it's a, a female Spartan um, Commander Agrina, who is taking on a whole bunch of new Spartans. And the whole idea in the multiplayer is you're going to become a brand new Spartan soldier um, trying to fight through this new world that Halo Infinite is going to be introducing to us. Blaine, Kylo, when we talk about conferences, the first thing I do now is I always go look at the travel info to see if it says this year's conference is online. So I went to the PAX West one, as per your note, and Hotel and Travel says, taking place, Washington State Convention Center, Pike Street, Pike, you know, Pike Place, like the coffee, Seattle, Washington. So is it happening, happening? It's not only happening, happening, but there are actually tickets available. And this is, this never happens. I mean, PAX West, which is the big Penny Arcade Expo that started all of the PAX are, um, uh, conferences, it usually sells out within, like some of the tickets sell out within minutes and others sell out within hours. But here we are two days away from the event opening on Friday and running through the end of Labor Day on Monday. And there are still four-day tickets available. They yeah. cost you 230 bucks US. And if you're going from Canada, you have to fly because you can't drive into the States as a Canadian right now unless you're, you've got a US citizenship. But you can fly. So if you've got nothing to do this weekend and you want to fly to Seattle and you can get a cheap flight, it's a great time to take advantage of packs. What has changed is when they announced earlier in the spring that they were going to go live with this event, they did not say anything about um, whether they were going to require vaccinations or anything like that. That has now been clarified. And PACs will require people to be either fully vaccinated or to have a current negative antigen or PCR test. And masks are also going to be required in the Washington State Convention Center. So if you are going to make the jump last minute trip to Seattle for Labor Day to attend PAX, uh, you better be vaccinated. Like anything else, um, vaccination is the thing that will get you the privileges of being able to attend these mm -hmm. kinds of events. Well, it is interesting now with the way they've done it. It's only $10 if you buy the four-day pass, but they're sold out of Saturday-only passes, so now you've got to buy the four-day pass uh, if you want to go to all the other days. I did look it up, by the way, with WestJet just to see, because I know WestJet announced service to Seattle from Calgary. You know, so you could jump from, you know, Winnipeg to Calgary and then go straight down to Seattle or whatever. It looks like there's doesn't start until s September 10th. So, unfortunately, next week will be the first week you could uh, quickly jump on one of those Canadian carriers to do that. All right. Here we are with Blaine Kylo, solocore.com. Are phones getting so expensive and computers so expensive that Apple has no choice at this point to do what they're doing? I think expense is certainly part of it, but it's also just getting on board with what other companies and tech companies are doing. Um, Apple Canada has rolled out its financing program in Canada. It just kicked into gear this month. And it's also something that um, Apple is doing in the United States, they actually have their own credit card. You can get your own Apple credit card now. So it's just an extension of Apple's services. Um, but what it means is, for the time being, it's 0% financing. So you can get a 24-month um, deal on an iPhone, 12 months on iPads or Mac computers. 0% financing means that you can have the computer now and, you know, pay for it in installments without any extra charges. There's no um, financing charge. There's no interest. There's there's no processing fees. So if you're getting a base model MacBook Air, for example, which is $1,299, it means you pay $108 over 12 months and you can have 
you know, one of the best computers available right now. If you do want the new base model iPhone 12, you pay $47 a month for two years and you can have the new phone right now. You can do this online at the Apple store online, or you can go into your local Apple store. I haven't actually tried out the application flow, but Apple says that it's smooth and quick and you can actually trade in your old equipment. There might still be value in that. And uh, that all gets calculated when you make the purchase. If Apple does anything well, it is streamlining. Blaine Kylo, thank you for the insight. It's a technological world, solocore.com. Thank you very much, brother. Enjoy your long weekend with the fam. Yes, I will. You too. I hope everybody has a really fun weekend before, you know, the world ends. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.